journey to Jerusalem. What a journey it must have been for them. Wouldn't it be nice, had this been in our day, we would have video footage of the whole trip. We'd have the whole two and a half years catalog. There are no telling the things that Jesus said to those disciples during that two and a half year journey. Try as we might, we can't really conceive of all that must have been just dropped as hints along that road. Things that must have been said that were so shocking, a lot of the disciples didn't even catch them, didn't even hang on to them. They just kind of went right over their heads. Because after all, they were just beginning this journey with Jesus. And along that way, the purposes and God's redemptive action in his story were being revealed little by little. One of the things I love about the scriptures are the way that they're put together to sound like a continuous story. And in fact, I think they're meant to be read that way as well in the context of all this going on. So as we look at this great verse in John 3, 16, is so well known, you really need to begin much before that in the third chapter in order to receive that full import of all that's going on there. Because in the beginning part of John chapter 3, Nicodemus is coming to Jesus to talk to him. And it's that famous discussion about what it means to be born again, to be a believer in Jesus Christ that comes up, where Jesus says you must be born of the water and of the Spirit, and Nicodemus is so completely confused. It's not just the disciples that are confused about the things that Jesus says, but it's also many others who are there, many others who are at odds with him on some level, but also many others who are drawn to him on different levels. And so we have the whole discussion of the salvation that goes along there until we hit those key verses. And then he speaks so clearly why God sent him and for what his purpose is. And yes, it is the most common verse in the, in the world, and certainly in the 20th century forward. William Barclay refers to it as everybody's text rather than just a favorite text. And indeed it is that. For it is the essence of the gospel in its shortest form, perhaps, of that you find it anywhere in Scripture. And when we think about this text, there are things that leap out at us I think we need to grab a hold of. And things I think that God wanted to begin the education for the disciples as they walked along together. I can't imagine how, what list that Jesus must have had in his hip pocket. Now, I, I'm aware he probably didn't have a list, yes. But I'm also aware that in his mind he had a list of things that were going to come up. And as the Spirit led him, that he would use to teach them from the everyday happenings of life as they moved along. Things that later on they would remember. Things that later on, once touched by the Spirit, they could conceive of and understand. Things along, along that would be shared over and over again that they would never fully realize until a long time later. But he put them into their heads and into their minds so that they might come to fruition later. And in this passage, we see four things that just jump out at us right quickly. First of all, that the initiative of salvation begins with God. And we need to be clear about that as followers of Christ so that we don't confuse the world around us. We, sometimes we make it, as I was talking to the children a little bit about, we make it sound like Christianity is all about us and what we do. But we need to remember that salvation begins with God. Without God's initiative, none of us would have believed. Without God's coming of the Spirit, as we understand in chapter 14 in the Gospel of John, without that coming of the Spirit, nobody would believe. Without the Spirit of God who roams the earth today and woos every sinner 
woos every non-believer slowly but surely into a relationship with him. Nobody would ever say yes to Jesus. God is so pervasive and God is so on the initiative that he is seeking out those people who are ready to hear his word. He is ever, ever and continually on the hunt for his children who are lost. Now, after that one point, surely we understand what the church's mission must be, right? It must be to take the initiative to seek out the lost. Because our story is a part of God's story. And God is so clear about the redemptive purposes of his story that we must never be de delayed nor detoured from what is central to who we are as the followers of Christ. Secondly, he talks about his motivation. God did it because he loves us. It's as sure and as pure as that. It's the length and the heights and the depth of God's love that overwhelms us, as is talked about in Ephesians, because God sent us not only Jesus, but he sent us his most precious gift. The thing he had most to give us was his son. The thing that was the most precious to him was his son. And his motivation for doing that was the motivation of love. The means to carrying that message was Jesus. And guess what? There's a means for him carrying that message today. It's those who bear the name of Christ, who are Christians, who are moving about in the world. We're always trying to scheme and come up with new plans and new ways in which the church can reach the unchurched. But quite frankly, there's only one way that really works consistently. Only one way. And it's not complicated. And every one of you already know it. I don't even know if I should mention it. What do you think? Should I mention it? Maybe. Okay, well, let's just mention it then. God intends you to be his witnesses. Period. There's no other plan. There's no other catch. There's no other postcard. There's no other scheme or plan or organization that's going to make it happen if God's people don't do the work that, that Jesus lived before them as he lived before the disciples. What did the disciples do when Jesus was gone after they received the gift of the Spirit? They started going. They started telling. They started gathering. They started teaching. But they were going all the time to other people who did not know, constantly, consistently, with love and joy that no one could misunderstand. The last thing about this passage, this beautiful passage, is its object. And that's really where I think this lesson derives from this passage in chapter 3 and 4, is its object is everyone. Now, some of you were raised in Calvinist homes. That's a good thing, because then you'll make you a better Methodist. I'm sorry, just can't help myself at times. For God so loved the world that he, whoever believes in him should not perish. Whoever. Period. Whoever. Exclamation point. Whoever. Period. If you believe in Jesus Christ, you can be saved. There's no way that my God in heaven decides on who's going to be saved because God has already decided he wants everybody saved. That's the Wesleyan understanding of the scripture. God has already decided to save everyone. And all this dependent upon is their little response to God through the spirit that God's already given them. So it's never their work. 
It is simply their acceptance and response to the spirit that comes. But they still must do it. You still must believe in him. Guess what next week's sermon is about, the Sunday before Easter? It's about believing in him. That's what we're going to talk about next week. But this week, we're not going to talk about that because this week, we're going to talk about crossing barriers to take the gospel wherever it needs to go. And that's where the passage leads to at the end of this discussion. They begin another short journey, and they go through Samaria. Now, that wasn't by accident. But if you understand the geography there, you have about a 120-mile nation of Palestine. And up in the north end, you have what's called Galilee. And on the south end, you have what's called Judea. And guess what's in the middle? Samaria. Guess who lives in Samaria? Samaritans. Guess who doesn't love Jewish people? Samaritans. Guess who doesn't love Samaritans? Jewish people. Guess who even hates to go through their territory going from north to south? And many of them would take a circumference route and go around it. They'd just go around it on the edge of the coast. But Jesus decided, because you could say, well, it's a little shorter. He'd just go straight through it. That wasn't the reason he went straight through it at all, by the way. Follow the text. Chapter 3 is all about salvation and God's provision for it. Chapter 4 has Jesus doing the unthinkable so that these disciples cannot miss, cannot miss his purpose. He goes to the well of Jacob and he sits down there in the, close to the town of Sychar and waits. He sends the disciples away. <laughs> he didn't want them to get in the way of what he was about to do probably. Sends them away to go get food. And while he's sitting there, the woman of Samaria comes to the well. And then this charming, maybe the most, for me personally, John chapter 4 is one of the most uh, powerful passages in the whole Bible. Because here comes this woman who is addressed by a Jewish man, and that doesn't happen. Jewish men do not speak to women in general, and they certainly don't speak to Samaritan women at all. Because after all, Samaritans are lesser than Jews. After all, they just don't do that. They don't associate together. They don't spend time together. And here Jesus was talking to this woman, which was going to be later astonishing to the disciples when they saw it. And as he was sitting there talking to her, that feud, I'm sure, was in the back of his mind as a barrier that separates the word that he was bringing to the world. Right here in his own little world, he wanted to let it be known that the gospel was for everyone. He didn't come just for the Jews. Abraham hadn't gotten that. Isaac didn't get that. Israel didn't get that. And now he's making it plainly obvious in his actions. Get this. I didn't come just for those who already know about me and know of me. I came for the lost, for the forsaken, for the poor, for the sick, for the separated, for those without, for the hated ones, for the enemies of yours. I came for them all. I came for them all. And she's so astonished by it that she is flabbergasted that he'd ask her for a drink of water. And then they get into the whole discussion of the living water. He said, well, if you'd really know who I am, you would be asking about that, and I would have given you living water because you'll get thirsty again after you drink from Jacob's well. But I have a water to offer you from which you will never be thirsty again. What a story that he unfolds here. And as he does that, we hear this message. The unclean are not unclean to God. 
The sinners who despise God are not unclean to God. The people who say they have no faith in church or church people are loved by God. The people who are of other religions and believe in other gods with a little g, they're loved by God. For God so loved the world that he gave Jesus. The first thing we seem to lose sometimes when we gather together as a community, if we're not very careful, is we get so much tied into who we are as a community is we forget that there's a larger community in the world a larger community than what we see in front of us that God wants us to relate to. Indeed, it is the prime reason for the coming of Jesus and the prime part of the story of salvation. And it's the easiest part to forget and the hardest part to do. It's hard to go to that neighbor that's so unpleasant, who makes fun of your faith. It's hard to go to them. And share the gospel. It's hard to go over and help them do some repair work in their yard when they're out there working. Because you know you'll dislike most of the conversation. But if you go to the trouble to go into their land and to sit and help them do something that has no benefit to you. You might be amazed what a, how much of that will rub off onto them until they start asking you about your world. About your land about why would you ever come to my house in the first place you know I'm the one that cut down your tree that you missed it was my dog that did what he did in your yard I was the one laughing watching my dog it was me who voted the wrong way in the last election it was me who was sitting on the community club and caused your project not to pass I was that deciding vote I'm the one who's made fun of you and ignored you as you drove off every Sunday to go to church. Jesus loves all of those people. The church of Jesus Christ must not remain a club. It must rather be a community that is always reaching out to the people that no one else would reach out to. And that is the message that Jesus wanted to teach these disciples. And he knew, he knew no better way to do it than just get right in their face. Rabbi, what are you doing talking to that Samaritan woman? You know we're in a foreign language. What are you doing? Here, we got some food for you to eat. You can just almost hear the frustration in their voice. And then Jesus says, I've got food you don't even know about to feed you. I've got food you don't even know about. Bread of life. It's what life is about. And so it was for Jesus. And so he wanted it to be for these disciples. Now the interesting thing was, in this compacted message, this woman wasn't all those things. She was also the biggest sinner on the block. And Jesus told her, you know, who's, where's your husband? I, well, I don't have one. He said, yeah, you're right, you don't have one. You had five. And the one you're with now is not your husband. So she's working on the sixth one. And Jesus said, I know all about that. And she goes, you must be a prophet <laughs> or a good gospel. I'm not for sure if that's that line's in there or not. But how would you know such a thing? And uh, now we go back to it. And you're talking to me? I'm a sinner. 
I might be a homosexual. I might be a, somebody fresh out of prison from having killed three people. I might be living a, two streets over on the wrong side of the tracks. I might be a drug dealer. And we go, well, obviously you're not included in them whosoever. But they are. Every one of them are. And every one of them is so beloved by God that he wants them to have the choice and the opportunity to make that choice. We as a church have the blessed opportunity to take up that mantle and make that our focus. We have the opportunity to offer them living water and bread that satisfies for a lifetime. And then he says something to those disciples in chapter 4, verses 34 and 35 that just rings your bell all up. He said, I'm here to do my Father's will. That's why I'm here. That's what I do, to do my Father's will. Not my will, but the Father's will. And then he looked at me and says, the fields are white under harvest. And so in the middle of a land that's all whining about churches that are getting smaller and dying, you know why they're getting smaller and dying? Because most of the work in the church is going on inside the building. And most of the work of the church in this century and the place where we live needs to be going on outside the building. And you said, well, yeah, but we still have to go to Bible study. We still have to have small groups. And we still have to come to worship. And I would say, yeah. Now I want you to free up some more of that time to intentionally be in ministry where you work, where you shop, where you walk, where your kids play, and the things they do. You say, well, I just don't have that much time. And my answer is you got the same amount of time they had when Jesus walked the earth. Actually more. They had 24 hours a day just like you've got. You said, but I'd have to change my schedule. I don't care flipping it about your schedule. You say, preacher, you said you didn't care flipping about our schedule. I did. Change your schedule if it's in the way between you and God's will. Because God's will is for us to touch the world. It's fun touching y'all, and I get charged up from this, just seeing you week after week. But I don't see most of you the rest of the week. But you do get a chance to speak to other people once you leave here who don't know Jesus, right? They may be a Samaritan type. They may be the not chosen. They may be their lifestyle. Maybe you go, ooh, I don't want to be anything, have anything to do with that. But you actually do, don't you? Don't you? Don't you want to do God's will? Don't you love people enough to take their abuse? You know, I've only got eight seconds. We were in Tyler so, full, so long ago, and it was so much fun with June. But you know what? June is a two-year-old almost, and she's acting like it. And when she acts like she's two years old, it's hard to put up with her. But you know what? She doesn't stay too long. And when she's not acted up like a two-year-old, she is so gorgeous. And two days with her, two and a half days with her, she was starting to sit on my lap. It was a whole new territory. Most people are like two-year-olds. We just have to remember, they won't stay that way forever. And now it's time to pray. Let's pray.
Lord God in the heavens who doesn't care about our clocks, but he cares about his people. We don't know exactly how to do it, and sometimes our efforts may feel clumsy to us, but every clumsy effort that we make and every clumsy word that we try to say is blessed by you when we are talking to those who do not know you. And you smile every time one of us makes any kind of effort to reach out in love through word or deed or just really a smile and eye contact to pick up someone's dropped package to help someone with a neighborhood project to care about the people around us regardless of who they are may we be a congregation who truly believes that whosoever believes shall live eternally and may we so value every person that we cross through the Samarias in our own lives finding them as we go bless your people Lord as we continue to worship in song if there's someone here who needs to respond to you this morning in any way through faith for the first time recommitment by prayer at the chancel rail or someone who needs just to transfer their membership from another congregation. Let them come as we stand and sing, rejoicing together as your body of believers. For we are the children of God, heirs to the kingdom. Let us stand and sing with that spirit in our hearts. In Christ's name we pray.